All right, welcome back everybody to the Pack Out Podcast. Uh, I am back tonight with Aaron. Um, just want to commend him on that last episode with Cliff. I thought that was a good episode. Cliff was uh, was very interesting, so appreciate you holding the fort down while I was in a little bit sunnier and, and nicer weathered Arizona. I'm now back in Michigan in the cold, although today it was in the 60s, so I can't complain too much. Um I guess not a lot going on for me right now. It's kind of uh, draw season for elk, so I'm waiting on Montana and New Mexico, and that'll kind of set the uh, scene for us. I've uh, been wanting to do a little fishing, but the rivers have been, stayed pretty blown out here, so it's been a lot of sit and wait. I have turkey season coming up. Um, what have things been like out in out in Pennsylvania, Aaron? Not the greatest of weather. It's, it seems like we get, like, like today was uh, hit 68 um, super nice weather tomorrow hit 78 and then we tailspin into forties, lows of thirties into the rain. I thought I was done building fires at night, but apparently I'm not. So <laughs> that'll come back next week. Um, I haven't, man, this off season has been weird for me. Like the only thing I've really done has been working with Obi and getting her woe broke and heel broke before she goes to Scott's, um, for formal training and whatnot. Otherwise, I mean, after ice fishing, I kind of just relaxed a bit, hung out with, uh, hung out with my daughter and my wife and, and whatnot. Um, see, it, it, see, it, it's weird. Like I, I don't like scouting deer with snow on the ground. And as soon as snow came off the ground, we've been go, go, go with going to Philly, working with Obi people coming to visit. So it's like, I haven't even been able to get out to the woods much, um, so, but sunnier days are ahead. Oberon's in the fridge. Bluegills are going to start bedding here in about another month. So all good things. Yeah, I am not ready for turkeys. Some... Not not no. ready for turkeys. Yeah, no. Everyone knows that. I think by now, right? <laughs> I think, yeah, I think I can stop with the bit. <laughs> yeah, know. no, I am ready for some nicer weather. I uh, I've neglected my my bow a little bit the last month or two, so. Uh, total archery challenge coming up in June. So it's time to, to really start ramping that back up, uh, turkey season around the corner, but yeah, definitely ready for the bulwark. Um, which I think kind of leads us into tonight's episode. Uh, we have Nate Sellers from average Jack archery on. Uh, so I think that's a, a good primer for all of us, uh, who have maybe been neglecting the, uh, stick and string a little bit. So, uh, welcome Nate. We're glad to have you on. I've been looking forward to this. I appreciate it, man. I, I, I'm I'm bummed to hear that you're neglecting it, but it's to be expected. You are not alone. So, but <laughs> I appreciate you having me on anyway, and uh, and we'll, maybe we can hound you enough that you'll uh, get back to practice before you start launching into 110 of the Yeti. I know, I know. It's kind of been a weird. Like I'm, I'm usually pretty consistent with shooting, but um, I get it. I got into doing Shot IQ, uh, Joel Turner's program a little bit, and I really kind of focused on that, not so much shooting, and then. Yeah, I've just fallen off, so no excuses now. It's time to time to get back into it. Yeah, well, I mean, he does. You know, his son seems like he knows how to shoot a bow. You know, he wins Lancaster. <laughs> you know, almost yeah. wins Lancaster, wins Vegas. You know, and you know, and he's like half the age of us. You know, so it's <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it, uh, that stings a little bit. Uh, but no, I mean, his <laughs> stuff. For those of you that haven't uh, check out, if you are interested in the in the IQ, do the shot IQ stuff of Joel Turner. He's been doing it for a lot longer than his son's been alive. So definitely, definitely go check it out. But yeah, no, that's, 
that's a great thing to do in the off season. And I know I've been chomping at the bit to get outside and start sticking foam, IBO, ASA, or tax style of it. Yeah. Have you taken that course? I have not, but every person that I have talked to has taken it, um, uh, done parts with it, have just come away. And no one's ever been like, oh, that was a waste of time, effort, money, et cetera. Every single person has been like, that's that's done better. Um, so it's something that I need I need to add to my repertoire. Same thing with like even taking John Dudley's knock on stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I just, you know, there's always something to learn from somebody who's done it really well. And Joel's done it really well. John Dudley's done it really well. Uh, George Riles is another guy who has the archery learning center down in Georgia, that type of stuff. Like they all just, even though they are past their prime, if you will, they have a lot of great stuff to teach. And yeah. Um, yeah. Let's say that, that first season of, of, uh, the knock on school, knock on you. Yeah. School of knock. That's what it is. That first season of school of knock. Like, I, I mean, I've watched his other seasons of it, but that first one seems to really take you back to your foundation take you back to the fundamentals as far as form goes and i i recommend that to anybody who's like i'm having troubles with this it's like well it's july watch this youtube series and do everything he says and right in a couple of weeks you'll be feeling better but uh and i need to sign up for shot iq i've been putting it off past week <laughs> so yeah i uh i don't know i feel like kind of like all the guys you mentioned you can just kind of even if you don't follow their system to a T, I mean, you kind of pick up little things here and there and you kind of form it into your own process or system per se. So I've learned a ton from those guys and I certainly appreciate all the, uh, you know, the information they put out and, you know, people like yourself on YouTube. I mean, you know, I think back, I, I started shooting archery at a young age, but, um, it was pretty much self-taught, you know, I, I had a grandpa that was big into hunting and he shot a compound, but same thing, you know, so I never really had any formal education. So a lot of it's been done just, kind of going, especially with the age of YouTube and stuff, you know, just kind of being able to go and find videos from people. And, and it's a big thing. So yeah, the, the information's out there. You just kind of have to go and seek it. There's no longer an excuse for doing things really wrong. Like there, you know, that there was always kind of when I was, you know, and we all remember in Pennsylvania, you couldn't hunt till you were 12. So I vividly remember, you know, 10, 11, 12, really picking up a bow, really trying to work to that 35 pound limit. And I remember, you know, my granddad, uh, being like, you know, there is no wrong way, but there's a lot of good ways, you know, type idea to shoot in a bow. And now with the age of YouTube and all the high end competitive archers or just average Joes like me that have been doing it for nearly two, three decades, there is, there's no excuse to being like, well, that's the way I was taught, you know, it, no, like there's, there's too many good people offering free resources, high quality resources. And if you're like, if you're like, you know, I, I, I hold a, you know, a, a golf ball size group at 20 great but if you're the guy that holds like the the 12 inch pie plate at 20 there are so many resources now that can help you get better with that way more consistent with that whether you're just you know sticking arrows through paper or trying to put it through a whitetail in the fall yeah just tons of resources and and there's already been a few mentioned here so like i said you just kind of kind of have to go seek it out but um why don't yeah why don't we rewind a little bit and just kind of tell us like when did when did archery first start for you i know you said you kind of had to work up to that weight limit and you know you had to be 12 but when did you first kind of pick up a bow and start getting into shooting so i've always been connected to the competitive shooting sports um one thing i don't talk about on my channel or in in much in general is that actually as a youth i I competitively shot air guns and small bore 22 
Um, and I traveled all over the state, traveled all over the country uh, doing that from about the age of what, 13 to 15, 12 to 15, somewhere in that flavor. Um, and then when I kind of got out of that, um, I realized that, you know, living in, in rural PA, that as those, it's cool that you can shoot a gun in your backyard. No one complains if you shoot a bow. And uh, my mom's uh, side of the family, both her brother and her father, my bi biological granddad, um, both shot. And he, my granddad, particularly shot competitively for Hoyt for many, many years. Fingers, compounds, 80s and 90s. And um, and so he put a bow in my hands and, and, you know, gave me the basics of how to anchor and how to draw so you don't kill yourself and how to work, you know, do this particular type of, uh, you know, weight exercises, elastic bands and stuff to build up your, uh, your muscle. And so I started shooting around the age of 11. And then by the time I was 12, I was legally allowed to hunt in PA and I was able to bow hunt. And so I started bow hunting and I just fell in love with it, man. I was so bad, <laughs> so bad. Uh, but I was, I was shooting 45 pounds at like a 27 inch draw. Uh, you know, there I am 12, 13 years old and, um, just absolutely fell in love with it. I just kept doing it and doing it. And I would go to the local library and read every field and stream and outdoor life magazine, just find the articles on archery, just, just every single thing that I could. And, uh, you know, read whatever books were available. I watched every episode of Tom Miranda going and hunting Ted Nugent, Spirit of the Wild, and just the mystical flight of the air. It just fascinated me. And then uh, when I got into being in college, you know, late high school, um, I was like, I think that I can actually do something with this. This is more than just a hobby. And so I started playing around with fletching my own arrows and play around with learning how to work a bow press and what a different style of cam system is and so on and so forth. So for now, the better part of, you know, 10, 12 years, I've really been involved in the, in the actual bow technician side, not the engineering side, but the technician side. And I've just kept evolving with it. And almost everything I've done so far has been trial and error. You know, if you see a video on YouTube of me doing a method, it's because I'm Thomas Edison trying like 10 other things that didn't work uh, even remotely. And then, you know, I finally kind of work into a, a system that does work and try to keep it as simple as I possibly could. And for my own sake, and then um, probably about, what, seven years ago, my wife is like, can you stop telling me all this stuff at the dinner table and just make a video and put it on YouTube for men who care? That would be great. And uh, so I did. So I, I made a, I was making homemade lighted knocks at the time because a pack of lighted knocks was like 30 bucks, 25 bucks. And I was too cheap for that. And so I was making my own lighted knocks with a box cutter and a couple of LEDs and some batteries and I put it on YouTube and, and the response was really positive. I put it in some Facebook groups. The response was really positive. And, and uh, the archery YouTube scene was kind of in its infancy. There was a couple guys on there, but not a whole lot of people. And so I just kept posting content and, and kept getting a lot of people and like, hey, you should keep doing this. Keep doing this. And um, being a, you know, for those who don't know who might be listening, I am a English middle school English teacher for a living. So I spend a lot of my time thinking of ways to teach people who don't want to be taught anything how to learn new things. And uh, so when it comes to teaching a 40 year old guy how to do something he's never done before, you know, I, I feel like I kind of have that, that, that niche, if you will, to, to help them out with something like that. So I just kept making content and we're now almost what, 45,000 subscribers seven years later and mil you know, I think a little over 8 million views cumulative on the channel. And um, I have no intention of stopping. It's an absolute blast. And um, I'm learning new stuff every day and get to meet new people every day, go to the ATA show, meet new vendors, meet new manufacturers, get asked to test drive equipment before it's put out to the public. I mean, this is all stuff you dr I dreamt about as a kid that I now get, I'm getting to do 
Uh, and I never, seven years ago, if you had told me when I was filming, I mean, here I am still sitting in my basement, but filming in my basement seven years ago, I, I never would have thought it was possible. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. And, and to be able to have that background of, and I'm, I'm going to preface this, like you teach middle schoolers English. If, if that is not the age group that never wants to learn English, I don't know what is like, I, I don't I know what you, is. dude. <laughs> it's it's uh, it was by accident. I actually uh, when I student taught, I student taught in kindergarten, uh, five and six year olds, and I loved it. I absolutely had a blast. Um, but uh, when I was getting hired, they were, I, they were like, "What grade? You know, what grade do you want to teach here?" And uh, I was like, "Oh, I really like kindergarten." They're like, "Yeah, nah, you're six four, two hundred and fifteen pounds. You're gonna go hang out with the with the middle school kids. You're not. We're not giving you to the kindergartners." And, uh, so I've been teaching middle school English ever since, uh, but 10 years now. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it's where I've been and I, I do love it. I love the age group and it's fun in Pennsylvania too. It was a complete inadvertent thing, but you know, in PA, now that we have the mentored youth, that age group, that fifth, sixth grade where middle school starts in Pennsylvania, that 10, 11, 12, a lot of these kids are getting into the bow hunting world. A lot of them are shooting crossbows, but you know, they're getting out and shooting the first deer. They're shooting their first turkey. They're doing all that sort of stuff. And it's really cool to connect with them on that in the classroom and outside. It's something that I don't, you know, I'm, I will miss if I ever leave teaching or when I retire from teaching is having that constant connection to kids, bringing me their pictures of their first deer, even though they don't want to care. They don't care at all about adjectives, nouns, and punctuation. They're going to bring me their first deer. And that's the cool part to me. Yeah, for sure. I had, I had teachers in middle school and high school that would always talk to us about hunting, you know, would, you know, after, you know, in Michigan, November 15th is opening day of firearm season every day or every year. And November 16th, we all come into school and he'd be like, he just, he, he knew the ones in class that hunted. He's like, who's got pictures for me? Who shot what? And stuff like that. So definitely, definitely not alone there. How long did it really take for, for the YouTube thing to kind of like take off? I know you said that, that, that first video was well-received, but, um, what's kind of the timeline for like the growth that you, you know, you're kind of into now. It took it quite some time. Um, so, you know, we started there. Well, I say we, I mean, me, I, I, you know, my wife with my wife's constant pushing God lover, um, what they're in 2015. It wasn't really until I think the 2019 or 2018 or 2019, it was solid three or four years later. I, uh, met a good, who's now a fantastic friend. Um, Derek Craig is his name from New Day Outdoors on YouTube. And he so happened to, I was shooting Magnus broadheads at the time, buying them myself. You know, I'd been shooting them for years as a kid. My grandfather got me to shoot them because I was shooting low poundage and all sort of stuff. And, and, uh, I reached out to him on YouTube. He had like a thousand subscribers, you know, I maybe had 10,000, something like that. And, uh, we just created a virtual friendship and he's like, well, why don't you come to ATA? Well, I'll talk to the CEO, Mike Sama Magnus, and we'll see if we can get to come out to ATA. And I was like, nah, there's no way. And I went to ATA with them and just the, the, the graciousness of them bringing me in, paying for me to come in and working in the booth a little bit. And then all I did, I, I told Mike, I said, I'm going to go film. Like, can I go film ATA? Cause it's an exclusive event. You know, it's not open to the public. And I went and filmed ATA. And from then on, just it just it took off like a shot because I think people were like, oh, this guy's not an idiot. And he comes and talks, you know, about archery stuff and, you know, and he brings his own camera. We don't have to pay him anything. And uh, 
so I started to see the, the snowball effect there. And then, you know, then I was doing videos with guys like uh, Troy, the Ranch Ferry, um, Brandon McDonald and I did a couple of videos together. And, um, you know, get connecting with guys like Garrett Prawl from DIY Sportsman, just a, a, the YouTube community kind of comes into you uh, together like that. And, and that kind of helped boosted the, the overall content. And manufacturers started to notice they wanted more positive product reviews. I do a lot of stuff behind the scenes that doesn't go on YouTube. Um, you know, articles and, and writing and, and, and product stuff, you know, pictures and whatnot with the fancy camera gear and everything. So it, it has come to, it has come to that point and doing the, it's more than just the YouTube stuff and the contracts and all that sort of thing. But, but yeah, it, it was a solid to really answer the question. It was a solid three to four, if not five years before it really started to take off. That's yeah, interesting. I think that's something that's, well, I was going to say, that's something I think that, you know, guys that try to start out with YouTube videos, it takes a long time and it takes a long, like that's a long time of making videos and having 200 views on them. Yes. Or, or like, cause I, I, I tried doing YouTube videos, uh, when I was in, uh, Toledo, Ohio, like fishing videos and hunting videos and stuff like that. Well, one, all I had was a GoPro, so that doesn't help. And two, it's just so much work. It's so much work. Like it turned, it turned things that I loved into work. Yes. And I mean, you did that for three, four, five years with not much coming back in the way of recognition. Like that is, that is admirable. Highly, highly recognition. Well, recognition and revenue, you know, like YouTube doesn't pay the bills, but like in the, in the, you know, but at the same time, like you gotta be doing it for something. And really, you know, most, if, if, if somebody has it, this is why I subscribe. I I have more, I subscribe to more uh, channels that have less than 10,000, 15,000 subscribers than the guys that have 20, 30, 40. Now don't get me wrong. I still watch the hunting public and the stuff that Lancaster and Chris B put out and all that sort of stuff. But those guys that are still mucking it out with 10,000, you know, and they're still making a video every other week, you know, two, three videos a month. And they're getting two, 300 views, like you said, you know, and the, they're filming it with their phone or, you know, their GoPro or something. I love watching those guys because those guys are doing it for the love of the game still. Mm-hmm. And I remember that like I or, or guys doing podcasts like I, I have extreme uh, commendation for those people that are still doing it for the love of the game or just trying to, to cut their niche into the market because it is not enjoyable. It really isn't. There are some people that get a severe leg up, like all the interns from THP. They'll get a severe leg up because they were on THP. But the guys that start from scratch and work their way up, I have, I have serious kudos to them. It's interesting you bring up there, Craig. I um, I think I started interacting with him on like the bow hunting forum or something. Uh, I was looking to get into filming, and he was filming with those Sony mirrorless cameras and just doing like outstanding work. And I found him on there and started messaging him and you know, he probably doesn't even remember me. This is a few years ago, but just the same type of thing, you know, like he was such an open book, um, and kind of walked me through like the camera and the lenses and all that stuff. So it's kind of a small world when you, it had been, a, you know, I follow him on Instagram and stuff, but it'd been a little while since I heard that name and, you know, it's kind of a, kind of a small world, but that's cool. Yeah. And if anybody listening wants to actually appreciate, again, somebody who does it for the love of the game, like, cause Derek's got like 3000, he's been on YouTube for a decade, but his camera work and his editing skills and the color grading and everything i've seen his studio it's professional quality and he's got 
2,000 or 3,000 subscribers. Like that's the that's the level of commitment that that you have to have for some of these guys, and it's more it's way more than just a hobby. But the recognition for most of them is not there. Derek does do a lot of industry work as well, but in but the, there are guys that are just like him that don't have anything to do with the industry outside of just their passion about it. Yeah, but Derek's a good dude. I mean, he was the reason I got to shoot the biggest deer in my life so far. So <laughs> <laughs> I owe him one. <laughs> yeah, right. No, he's worth a follow just for the photography stuff. Like. You know, I remember uh, around that same time he had posted a bunch of picture of geese like flying in and into a cornfield oh, and stuff, yeah. and just goose like, great. oh, just breathtaking stuff. Like he does a fantastic job. So I'm with you there. He's worth a foul, you know, for for that if nothing else. Where um, where did hunting kind of come in for you? Were you hunting before you were shooting bows? Did archery kind of get you into hunting? What was that relationship like for you? I knew that I was going to be hunting from the moment I was like eight years old. But again, at the time in Pennsylvania, you couldn't hunt till you were 12. So I, I podunked around and did this, that, and the other thing. And I'm the oldest of five kids, and I'm the only one who hunts, shoots guns, shoots bows, does anything outdoorsy, really. Um, and neither my mom or my dad are interested in any of the shooting sports or hunting as well. So it was, it was, it was all, I, I want to say it was all uh, genetically stirred in from my mom's side of the family who or all rural Pennsylvania, you know, born and raised type people. And so I knew from a young age I was going to be hunting. And so I was shooting 22s at a young age, shooting little wheel bows at a young age. Um, but it was then right around that 11, 12 year old when I knew I was going to be starting to hit the woods legally that I was going to be, you know, shooting 20 gauges for turkey, shooting a real compound bow for deer. Crossbows were not legal at the time, so that was not an option for youth. So I knew that I was going to have to, 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 sink my teeth into it and bite off more than I could chew. In particular with the bow hunting, I vividly remember my first bow hunt with my granddad. We're sitting in a tree stand together and a deer came out. It To me, it looked like it was like right there. And he's like, that's like 40 yards. And I was like, yeah, no, there's no way I'm going to shoot that deer. He's like, no, you're not. You're not even going to go half the distance of shooting that deer. And now that I've been bow hunting 20 years, you know, I, I can look out and I see 40 yards. I'm like, oh boy, that's a long way away. But I'll never forget him going, you're, no, you're nowhere near shooting that deer. And then I remember vividly that I did it. I eventually shot a four point. It was the first day I ever shot with a bow. And it, to me, it looked like it was right underneath me. And uh, it was it ended up being a poor shot. Uh, I was 14 at the time. And uh, we ended up finding it dead, half eaten by coyotes later. Um, but what the, we, I went back to that same tree stand like six years later before we lost access to the property. And I, you know, I'm very aware of, you know, 18, 19 years, 20 years old or whatever. And I'm standing at the tree stand and I look over, I knew where I shot the deer. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's like 30 yards. <laughs> it's nowhere near that distance. I, th I thought I was a slam dunk and I'm shooting, like I said, like 45 pounds and a 27 inch draw. That deer could outrun that aluminum, uh, what was it like a 2117 or something like that? That yeah, was, there's no way. And, um, so yeah, so that I vividly remember there was a very painful early learning curve, but I knew that I was going to be in the woods from a young age. I knew I was going to be out killing deer, shooting squirrels, chasing groundhogs in the summertime, whatever it was, I knew I was going to be out. Yeah. Ignorance is almost bliss when you're younger. I, uh, I feel like I have similar stories, you know, where you, you did certain things in the woods when you were younger and now you look back now and it just, you know, it's a totally different ball game. <laughs> kind of blows your mind. Absolutely. Are you yeah, still, no um, idea what I was thinking. Are you primarily hunting Pennsylvania? Do you do any traveling? 
I, I had never until this past fall, until the fall okay. of 2021, had I ever left the state. I've been asked multiple times, go to New Jersey, Maryland. Um, I Sure. As a kid, I spent a brief time living in southwestern Ohio, down by the Dayton, Xenia area. Um, I could still go back and, and try to hunt areas down there, you know, some big deer down there in southwest farmland, Ohio. Um, New York have been offered multiple times. I just never have. And particularly with two young kids in the house, I just have never desired, you know, to, to really leave them. Yeah. So this past fall was the first time leaving. I, there's definitely going to be more trips. Where'd you go this past fall? Went to, uh, went to Indiana, uh, Northeast Indiana up there. Um, Angola, Where, Ashley area. My, uh, I'm so I'm from Coldwater, Michigan, which okay. is about a half hour North of Angola. And my mom lives in Angola. Okay. So well, there you I go. Know, I know the area very, very well. Very well. Yeah. <laughs> so I was hunting, uh, I was hunting in the Ashley Angola, uh, area there mm-hmm. on some, uh, on some private land. Uh, again, that's where, that's where Derek Craig lives. Uh, good, good. Good friend, Garrick. And uh, I'd gone out in 2020 during COVID um, and it was just wildly unsuccessful. But we had we had, had some good encounters um, and we knew there was good deer obviously in the property. It's, you know, all farming and stuff. And so I went out in 20, there in 2021, all self-filmed and everything. And boy, that's a rodeo in of itself. And uh, ended up shooting the biggest buck of my life to date, uh, just in a three-day hunting trip there. Um, and I hope to I hope to this year, you know, try something like Maryland, New York, New Jersey, something a little bit closer, you know, because of the channel and working on people's bow. I mean, I've worked on people's bows from all over the Northeast. So I've gained a lot of like, hey, thanks for working on my bow. Appreciate it. If you want to come up and hunt the family farm, you know, it's all your type thing. And I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> I, yeah, as sure. much as I love chasing deer on Pennsylvania public, sitting in a tree stand where I'm guaranteed to probably see a wild animal is really comforting. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Northeast Indiana, Southern Michigan, Northwest Ohio, like all that area. There's, it's a it's an underrated spot for deer. I think um, Indiana they they tend to go like a lot of the guys that go go there to hunt. They're more Western, Southern, Southwest, like that South Central kind of spot. Which that's good stuff too. But Northeast, you can't sleep on it for sure. No, like and I and just driving out there you go through central ohio and eventually get in indiana you can cut up north you know fort wayne indianapolis all that sort of stuff and eventually get up there and as soon as i cross the border i just I'll, i was just driving on it it's super flat compared to pa you know Very. so i don't have to pay attention as much you know when i'm driving i just make sure the car is far enough away and then i just start staring and cut cornfields and there's just deer everywhere it, it just blows my mind the deer density coming from the foothills of appalachia to to you know to farm country where you could see a literal see a country mile and see hundreds of deer at one sit it's just it's outstanding and the caliber of deer that derek's definitely shooting out of there the other guys are definitely shooting out the deer that i saw the the buck that i ended up shooting of all the shooters that i saw was the smallest um and so that's that just goes to show you the, the caliber and that was after it's been hunted nearly all archery and you know right before their firearm season so the, the number of deer and quality deer that are up there is pretty pretty impressive yeah, for sure. Yeah, the I don't like driving around like driving into town or something like that. Like I don't see, you know, 70 deer out in the cornfield. I see seven deer out in a cornfield or something like that. Go back home to Michigan. I know that there are particular roads where I'm from where it's like, well, I can go down Pearl Road right now and I guarantee you there's gonna be 80, 90 deer sitting out in this field. Yeah. Which is a lot of freaking deer. Like it is. people like for people that come from deer heavy places. 
don't understand what we would give to have deer heaviness in certain parts of the country. They have no idea. Oh yeah, for sure. Especially some parts of PA where guys like I've, I've heard this before. It's like, there's no deer in Pennsylvania. And and my response to always that is just like, no, you just, you, you just, you're sitting in the same spot and you have been for 35 years. There's no deer where you're at, but there's legitimately places in Pennsylvania where it's just void of life. It is a park. <laughs> yeah, there's it's not deer. There. It's, there's it's nothing alive. there. Yeah. For the, yeah, like I, well, I said off air earlier, uh, you know, I drove, so I live in Clearfield County and I drove up uh, north through the St. Mary's Way. And for those that live in the north area, Cowdersport there, upstate game lands in the Allegheny National Forest. And when I got up there, uh, there was two inches of snow on the ground. And there were signs for watch out for elk. And you look down, you know, you'll get to a top of a, you'll get to a top of a ridgeline on the interstate and you look down this huge finger down into a bowl and down to huge drain. These drainage are all over the place and you can see the bottom of the drainage. That's how open and closed canopy and no food and nothing there is. You can see 300 yards down through the timber. And that's great for gun season when deer are running wild and, you know, cause they're getting chased, but that doesn't support critters and particularly elk sized critters that we have here in north central pa or or any size of, of good healthy whitetail population and yeah it's 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 funny that you it's not devoid of deer it's devoid of life it literally is and i don't think people understand there are certain parts of the country east of the mississippi river that look exactly the same way like when you get above the tree line in the rockies like it just doesn't support anything there or our healthy level of things that that can live there anyway yeah absolutely and and i know that this like DCNR and game lands, they're cutting more, which is great, but they need to cut more and cut more, more and cut way more. more. Yeah. Way more. Yeah. But that's another soapbox and can of worms for another day, I think. Yes. <laughs> um, so you've been working on bows for, you know, sounds like upwards of at least your own stuff. 10-ish years or so, probably? Yeah, 10, 12 years solid. 10, 12 years, yeah. okay. So where did it kind of hit you, and when did it hit you? Like, I, you know, I could I could do this in, in like, a, a professional format, in, in, like, a shop. Like, when did that first hit you? That, I, I don't, I can't really give you an exact, like, actual date, because it just kind of just, like, was one of those things where, like, you wake up, and all of a sudden you realize you're doing it, you know? I would say probably when I got a legitimate bow press and I didn't break like half a dozen bows that I put through there. Like, Hey, you know, I'm trying to bug all my buddies at work. You know, Hey, do you need a string cable change? Nope. I'm fine. What if I pay you for me to do the string cable change? You know, like just dumb stuff like that. Um, you know, and I was trying, and I was deliberately trying to, you know, make sure I work on a single cam bow, make sure I work on a, uh, hybrid cam bow or, or a dual cam track system with a binary thing or, you know, changing shims and doing all this sort of stuff. And I would say I didn't really feel like I was quote unquote professional until probably about six years ago. Like right after I started YouTube, you know, I'd been, I'd been piddle farting around with bow presses and stuff. I would go in, it was actually, here's a fun story. Um, shortly before, right after I started YouTube, I went into, um, I needed a string cable change on my bow. And where I was living at the time, the closest archery shop was a solid 45 minutes hour away. But we had a Dick Sporting Goods like 15 minutes down the road. So I go into Dick Sporting Goods and I was like, hey, uh, I need a string cable change. And the guy's like, 
we have a bow press. And I said, cool, uh, can you do it? And he goes, we have a bow press. And I said, can I go do it? And he goes, yeah, the guy who knows how to use the bow press only comes in like one day a week, does the bows that are here and leaves. And I said, oh, who's the guy that comes in? And he names him. And I know him because he's the head bow technician at the main shop that's an hour away. Dick Sporting Goods was like rent a bow technician, was bringing him in to to do the bow work at the Dick Sporting Goods. And I was like, that is hilarious. So I did. I went in the back little cubby room there. They had an apple press, which was not approved for the bow. But I still went in and did it, did a quick string cable change and got out of Dodge. Um, but yeah, so that's when I knew. I was like, okay, if I can walk into a multi-million dollar chain and the guy behind the counter, even though he wasn't qualified, says, yeah, just go do it. We're not even going to make you sign a waiver. That's when I kind of felt like, I think I can do this. And then um, I started doing work for people here uh, in this in this. Uh, space here at our at our home that we bought uh, back in 2017. So it's going on five years here that I started, you know, bringing in people in, quote unquote, advertising, you know, locally. Hey, if you need bow work done, my my big thing was I didn't want to take away from my local shop. Our local shop here in my town of Clearfield, Jim Sports Center, is fantastic. They do great work, and I didn't want to detract from that. But there are a lot of guys that can't make into a nine to five retail space to get bow work done. Um, and so that means they're, they're going in on a Saturday, you know, when they could be doing something else and trying to get stuff done. And so I always ran kind of oddball hours, you know, six to nine on a Tuesday, you know, give me a call a Sunday afternoon, randomly, that type of thing. And so that's when I started kind of doing a little bit more professionally. Um, and then I ended up, um, unfortunately being needed. We had, there was some, uh, fate, uh, some, some casualties, if you will, some fatalities, some people passed away, uh, at the, at gyms and, they needed a bow technician, so I ended up working there a lot part-time to help fill the void so they were able to hire full-time people. And so I did a lot of work down there for them the past couple of years. And now we're turning into my own store because <laughs> I like being my own boss. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I worked at Dick Sporting Goods in Toledo and actually in State College. Oh, did you really? I did um, through, through school and whatnot. And then when we moved out here, I wasn't done with my PhD yet. And, uh, I just had some left to go and I'm looking for a job. And so I was able just to slide in and work and they're like, can you run a bow press? I'm like, I can do most things. And, but yeah, like don't expect to go into dicks and this is for people. I know you know this, but like, don't expect to go into dicks to have your bow like fully worked over because they don't train people for shit. No, like, like we watch <laughs> well, videos. So when would you have been, when would you have been doing stuff with dicks? I have to know now. Oh man. Um, we moved out here in 18, so it would have been like May of 18 and up until like January. Okay, so this would have been around 2014, 2015. Oh, yeah, that was I before then. This no okay. one mentioned that. Okay. That would have been a great story. I would have loved to know that. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, we used well, to have I'm some just... dude come in one day a week and just set up all of our bows for us. Well, does, uh, does Wilson still work there? Or did he work there at the time when you worked there? I don't remember a Wilson. His last name would have been Wilson. Oh, his last name was Wilson. Yes. I have no idea. Because <laughs> they they live out in your town. Oh, I have no clue then. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. Well, there was, a, there was a, we knew his dad and he actually knew how to work on bows. Okay. It, he actually knew how to work on bows. Great guy. His last name was Wilson. I cannot, I remember his dad's name, first name, but I can't remember his, his first name. Yeah. He was a super cool dude. 
Um, but yeah, he worked, I'd see him there in the archery department. I'd be like, Hey, can you do work on bows? He'd be like, yeah, screw you. Go away. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not messing with this right now. <laughs> I know how to do some things. Like if you got a little peep twist, but if your cams are out of time, good luck, man. I'm not dealing with that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's cool to be able to do your own work. Um, but I, I don't know how you felt, but that like, it's kind of anxiety provoking to put a bow in the press for the first time. Like I'm usually pretty cool. Not a lot like gets me, but man, that first time putting my own bow in my own press, it's like, and then I did a limb swap eventually. And like, you know, you get more comfortable as you go, but man, at first it's kind of nerve wracking. I, uh, I did a string cable change for a guy this past summer on a Matthews something or other. And for those of you that don't understand when you buy a Matthews, you have to drop the whole axle and cam package in order to change. And I don't like to do that in the press. I actually like to take the string cables off and completely relax the bow, take it out of the press, put it on the table, so that way nothing's under tension. Well, I had this bow in 20 different pieces on the table in front of this guy. And he is looking at me like, dude, dude, what are you doing? That is $1,000. What are you doing? And I'm like, I got this. But I, but I remember vividly, like, trying to do some really sketchy stuff, like putting shims in. Like, when I tapped an axle out one time, I had a Hoyt something turbo, 70-pound bow in the press, and I tapped the axle out. And like an idiot, I didn't think, oh, maybe it's not lined up. But I tapped the axle out of the far limb, and the limb went boink and went completely not level. So then there I am with a pair of vice grips trying to put the axle back in, line the holes back up. Oh, my gosh, I'll never forget that guy's face. I never will. He he didn't come back. He did see, not come back. That was the first and only time I worked on that guy's bow. <laughs> see, I don't have that anxiety, and I never really did with with using bow presses. Like we we had to do some stuff when I was working at at the pro shop and Dicks and stuff like that. And and my stepdad has like one of those uh, mobile cable presses deals. Bowmaster, the bowmaster. Yeah, the bowmaster. So like I've used that and whatnot, but like. I tell you what, you know what? How you don't have anxiety when you're working at a multi-million-dollar store and you just grab a two hundred and fifty-dollar bow off the rack just to mess around with it, like that's true. Zero anxiety because, like, if it breaks, it's not on me. Now, when I was putting other people's stuff in there and like having to tie stuff, like that's when it was like, okay, like don't screw this up, don't break nothing, it'll be all right. But I'm not, at a point where it's not about like the breaking stuff. For me, it's like, when is this guy going to come back? Because he's upset with something that we set up for him. That's the, that's like the number one yeah. for me now. That's the anxiety is, you know, I fix a guy and particularly, um, the, the older Matthew stuff, they're all single cams. You know, they have like 80, 90, almost a hundred inch long strings. And so when you put a twist into that, it takes it a while to work its way to the other end of the string, then come all the way back. So you'll put a guy's um, you, you'll put a guy's peep in, you'll twist it up to make sure it's lined up straight. He shoots, everything's great, and I always tell him, "Hey, can you please, if you have like twenty minutes, go downstairs to the range. You don't have to pay anything. Just go downstairs to the range and shoot like a dozen arrows." And they're like, "Nah, nah, nah, it's okay. I don't need to sight in." I'm like, "No, no, I don't want you to sight in. I don't care if you're sighted in. I don't care if you hit the broadside of a barn." I need to make sure that peep's not going to twist and you're going to be back in my shop in two days Mm -hmm. because you're going to be mad and you're going to want it fixed. You're going to fix right now and you're going to want it fixed for free. And so those, a lot of guys get smart and they'll go down like, Oh my gosh, I put 12 shots and now it's not straight. I'm like, and so then I got to (laughs) go fix it. It's like, 
you know, you would never, if a mechanic looked at you that you've known for 20 years says, hey, I think this tire's going to blow. We should probably fix it. And you go, no, no, I can make it home. He, he's not telling you because he wants you to make it home on the cheap. He's telling you because he doesn't want you to have a problem later. And that's that's where I'm at with most of the quote unquote anxiety kind of stuff is like, what of this setup is going to have this guy coming back? Um, and and that's that's the biggest annoyance for me now, because then it's just extra. It's extra gas for him. It's extra work for me. It's extra work for me later. And irate customers are never fun. That was, I mean, that right there, the return to the, to the shop was a big reason why I bought a press this year because like I wouldn't go to Dick's and the closest shop from here is about a 40 minute drive, uh, Northeast of Belfont. And like I would go up there. I think I had screen swapped or, or limb. I had limb swapped. And I come back home and sure enough, I mean, I shot it a little bit there and the peep was fine, but not the greatest strings took a long time to settle in. Now the peeps crooked. And it's just like, I have to take an hour and a half. I have to take two hours basically to drive up, to have them put a half a twist in my peep. This is so annoying. Yeah. And that's, that's the kind of stuff, because we have guys you know, down at gyms when I'm working there, we have guys that will drive up from Pittsburgh because they don't like their local shops. Mm-hmm. We have guys that come from Erie because they don't like their local shops. They're like, Erie? my granddad's oh, been coming here for 40 years. You know, we're going to come down here. And we're like, dude, you better stay for a couple of hours and make sure this is honed in. Because I do not want a phone call or you to tell me that you, you, I drove three hours for you to screw this up. Well, I want, I don't want you to leave here until you are 1000% satisfied because yep. I don't want a phone call or, or you coming back a month later yelling at me because it's not, it's not right anymore. So that, that's the, I guess that's also kind of the other reason why I enjoy the idea of starting my own business because there are a lot of shops that are very knowledgeable and have been around forever but they're not interested in that anymore. They're interested in, in getting it done, doing it right. They're not doing it wrong, but getting it done. But they're not they're not thinking. And it's it's tough to know. And it's tough to train somebody to have the knowledge to think ahead. Six months from now, what's this guy going to need? Or six days from now, when he's put 100 shots in strings, what's going to happen? And try to like do that all when they're sitting in front of you. Um, and, and, and have that kind of that thought and that mentality before they even step out of the shop. I think that's tough. I think it's tougher these days more than ever because guys can go onto YouTube and be like, hey, my bow's shooting and it's shooting funky. Is that a paper tune? Do I walk back tune? Are my cams out of time? You know, it used to be that we were just like, here's your bow. I am the all-knowing being behind the counter. You go do this thing now. And if it's wrong, it's your fault. And that, that doesn't work anymore. And so I think there's a lot of shops that kind of get stuck with the, oh, this guy knows what a paper tune is, but he doesn't know how to do it. Do I want to take the time and do it now or wait till he comes back in six months when he can't get fixed plates to fly with his steel points? So, yeah, that kind of stuff is, is what gives me the anxiety and the worry more than anything now. Yeah, that's a fair point. And I mean, there's something to be said for having a good tech that you're comfortable with, too. You know, that's kind of why I started working on my own bows. Um you know, I, I live in West Michigan now. Before I moved to the West Side of the state, uh, a, a buddy and I had a tech that you know was very good, and he had worked on a bow for a couple of years, and then you know for whatever reason, I think he moved or left or whatever, and then it's kind of like, now what do you do? You know, when you have somebody like you talk about that's thorough, they're kind of thinking ahead. You know, they're they're helping you prevent some of these issues or at least work through them when they do arise. So 
um, you know, I, I think what you're going to do is a cool thing and you've alluded to it a couple of times. So maybe let's kind of segue into that. Um, and you're in the process of opening up your own shop right now, correct? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have a full pro, uh, professional, you know, pro shop, uh, and a 20 yard indoor range. Uh, we don't know the exact number of lanes, probably six to seven. It's going to be for those of you that are in central Pennsylvania area, it's going to be in Phillipsburg. Uh, which is uh, in Center County. It's about a half hour from Penn State University there, State College area, um, and about half, you know, 20 minutes or so from where I currently resided in the Clearfield area. Um, yeah, it was just kind of something that kind of came out of necessity, uh, life goal. You know, I never thought I would ever own my own shop, uh, but the more and more I keep doing this and the more and more I realize how much time, effort, and energy I'm putting into the online pro shop technician guy thing, uh, I just kind of was like, this This kind of needs to happen. And then there's a lot of shops that have closed. We've had a lot of shops in Central PA that have closed or um, have gone under different management that are just not what they used to be. Uh, anybody that lives in Central PA that knows the Altoona, Johnstown area, they've tried to have an archery shop about three or four different times now in the past 10 years. It just hasn't stuck. And so that's a huge population of people. Bow hunters like there's swaths of public land bow hunters down there that no longer have a place to go. And they're driving an hour and a half, two hours to get just to a shop to, again, to do a simple thing like peat change, string twist, et cetera. And that's just, to me, that's unacceptable. Well, when I um, moved out here in 18, I looked up like, where's a bow shop at? And I was like, there, there's no bow shop with a state college address. That is correct. Like, that was the most shocking thing to me. I was like, there's a, there's a stool. I mean, I know college kids aren't like said to be like hunters, but like, well, we went to central Michigan university. So there's a fairly large hunting population there, but like just so you're in central PA, this is a town of 50,000 people and there's no bow shop. Yeah. The closest ones are, like you said, they're about 30, 40 minutes out of town. You know, there's Miller's gun shop, which is out in Lamar again in the middle of nowhere. And then there's gyms here in, in Clearfield, which is, out of the way for basically anything. And that's not Jim's or, or Miller's fault. That's just where they are. Yeah. Um, and, and so that, that state college, again, that's center County. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, like there, it is the only thing in the center part of the state. Like you have every, when everybody thinks of Pennsylvania, think of Pittsburgh, Philadelphia in the corners, maybe Erie Scranton in the corners and the center of the state is just elk. <laughs> like that's just, people think, ah, oh, it's just trees and elk and deer and stuff. Well, there's like a college town and it's quite large. It's and when the students are there, you have over a hundred thousand people living in this area and there are no bow shops. Oh, people there's ask no, me that all the time when I moved out here. So, so where, where is Penn state? Is that close to Philly or Pittsburgh? And what actually it's right in the middle of them. And there's nothing else around us. Nothing else. I mean, and and for those of you that understand Pennsylvania, at least the, the area, like Interstate 99, 322, it's one of the most heavily traveled highways, interstates in the in the state. And the amount of traffic that goes to the Phillipsburg area where the shop's going to be is insane. Transient traffic, people who live there traffic. And so that's why the shop is going there. And we knew we wanted it in a place where it was going to have a lot of traffic. We didn't want to be kind of out of the way, not inconvenient is a bad word, but that's just kind of the way to think. It's not like, oh, I'm going to go hit Miller's gun shop and then also go get a bale of hay from the Amish. Like no one has that. That's where, that's where Miller's is at. Don't you snort. No, that's where Miller's is at. I laugh because legitimately there have been a couple trips that we have taken to Miller's and then we stroll over to McVeigh town, McVeigh town, yeah. McVeigh town yep. to go to the Amish, um, 
farmer's market there. Like there's a yeah. big, there's a big veggie stand or whatever there. And yeah, like I, we, we spent like an hour and a half there one time and I asked the lady behind the counter and I was like, Hey, my wife is with me. She went to lock Haven for a farmer's market and they're actually closed. She's like, I got a spot for you. And then she sent us to McVeigh town. Like, I was like, yep. where are we? And then just boom. McVeigh town, Mackeyville. Yeah. So Mackeyville. We, I would Mackeyville. do this. That's what it is. Mackeyville. Oh, Mackeyville. Okay. Yeah, I was Mackeyville. gonna say, so Mackeyville uh, also had another, had a butcher shop, Mackeyville meats. And so that's where, when I, when our kids are first born and we lived in a condo, I couldn't, you know, skin a deer out in the parking lot of our condo. So I would take my deer up to Mackeyville. And while I was in Mackeyville, when in Rome, I'd go over to Miller's and, I would make sure there was something to do with my bow because I didn't, you know what I mean? It was just that kind of stuff. Um, thankfully, I got my press shortly thereafter so I could stop having to kill deer in order to go get my bow, bow work on. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, but, but yeah, so like going back to the shop, so like, you know, so Phillipsburg needed to be the natural thing. I knew I wanted to, I knew I wanted a space more than just retail. Like I want to be able to have a range. I want to be able to, again, maybe it's just a teacher me, but bring in as many people to enjoy bows. I would love, it's not going to happen immediately but i would love to have like a bunch of genesis bows for those of you that don't know they're part of the national archery and schools program brightly colored super low poundage you don't have to adjust draw length and kids can just pick up a genesis bow super light and just start flinging arrows just start chucking arrows at target bales and and having a ladies night you know have the ladies come out you know maybe my wife will make muffins or something i don't know but just just getting as many people into the sport of archery other than just dudes who want to shoot deer and because that's good for business but it's also good for the community building it's also good to get kids involved because here in pa in michigan and everywhere else in the northeast the winters are nine months long so like having a heated indoor range to bring the whole family on a Tuesday night, because why not? It's freezing outside and it gets dark at 4.30. Let's all stick carbon into foam and let's have a good time with it. And so that's that's what I'm really excited about. I'm really excited to help set up people's bows, sell crossbows, do maintenance, sell targets, and, and, and all the accessories you could possibly ask for, hopefully. You know, we're starting small and working our way big, but, but that's the idea. And having a positive customer experience, I think that selfishly is, is a huge driving factor because you hear very rarely, you talked about, you know, your positive Bowtech experience. So you had a guy, right? He's your guy. He does such a good job. And then they leave and there's never been that, well, the guy that came in, guess what? He's better. I've never heard that. I have never heard that. And that's where I hear 10 to one bad experience to good experience. And I want average Jack Archie, the actual shop to be, that hugely positive experience and um, more than just, you know, a, a business and more than just a way to increase the YouTube reach and everything. I want it to be a positive blip on the radar of, Hey, this is a shop that we respect. Nate knows what he's doing. His wife does excellent work with the, with the sales and everything else. And I think that's selfishly, that's a huge driving factor for me. Yeah, that's awesome. I love your, uh, you know, the idea with the, the ladies night and the kids stuff and being able to shoot in the winter. You know, I think about like growing up shooting, we had something similar. It was above like a, you know, a hardware store or something, but they had a Saturday league during the winter and that was awesome, you know, and that's where a lot of us kind of cut our teeth with archery. So I think you'll, I think your reach to, to people is going to be huge, you know, which is, which is going to be very cool. Um, I know you've covered this a little bit, you know, in your videos and stuff, but maybe for people who don't know, what's the timeline look like? Like, 
you know, kind of where are you guys at with the shop? When's the uh, official open, I guess, that kind of stuff. So the official full open of the retail space will be July 1st. Um, but we are currently doing some online stuff as well right now to just kind of start that process going and getting things. So uh, for those of you that are interested, I can basically get you anything shipped to your door, uh, basically. And I can, you know, I can tune it if it's applicable. I can work on it. Uh, for example, I had a customer. He bought a brand new Athens bow for me. That's currently being built. I had a guy want just a simple uh, bare single cam compound bow package, but he wanted it set up right. He could go and buy it from Dick's for the same price he can buy it from me, but he wanted me to get it, pull it out of the box, make sure it's set up correctly, and put it back in the box and ship it to him. And uh, I was very happy to do that. So, like that kind of stuff. And if folks are interested, they can go over to averagejackarchery.com or they can send me an email, averagejackarchery at gmail.com, uh, or find me on social media, Facebook, Instagram at averagejackarchery, and let me know. Um, anybody who's interested in doing online stuff right now, if you have an order over a hundred dollars, it ships free. And I'm so happy to ship stuff out of this tiny little basement so far, uh, that is set up right the first time and, uh, and, and done right the first time and built right the first time and, and so on and so forth. The actual building itself, uh, we hope to have open June 1st for lessons and just maintenance only we will not have all of our stock by june 1st we've been told that by manufacturers that's not going to happen uh but our range stuff will all be done our point of sale system will all be done our ability our boat our updated bow press so we can work on crossbows and stuff like that will all be in and that'll be ready to go by june 1st and then the full retail opening will be july 1st and then we'll be all systems go all steam full ahead um for the rest of the year and, and into the future so yeah, that's the that's the plan there with all of that. Um, and uh, I'm excited for the lessons in particular. I'm hoping that, you know, a lot of people locally in particular want to get into lessons there in the month of June. Uh, I think that's a great time. Baseball season's kind of wrapped up for kids. Guys are kind of bringing out the bows and dusting them off a little bit. I think that'd be kind of an interesting thing. I've always wanted to do have a space to have lessons, but I can only shoot 14 yards here in the basement and you got to get it over the Play-Doh table. So, uh, you know, it's <laughs> from the kids. So, uh, yeah, so I'm excited to, to kind of get that soft opening there in June and then have everything open up July 1st fully. That's awesome. That's, that's, that, that's really cool that you're, th I think that soft opening will be neat too. I think it'll spur some interest for when you do have everything there and when people do start getting their stuff out late June, mid June, whatever, and, you know, get around to getting in there in July and whatnot. Um, so, I mean, you're going to, you're going to offer all, all services, strings, tables, limbs. What, I mean, you name it, you're going to be offering it, whatever a pro shop does, you, you've got it covered basically. Yeah. It's so we're going to be, uh, we have been, uh, given the green light to be a dealer of Athens bows, PSC bows, bear bows, diamond bows. Uh, we're going to be dealing, uh, gas bow strings, zebra bow strings, which is for Matthews. Um, and then as well as some, uh, hopefully we'll have a local vendor. I, I use Craig from Wicked Threads Custom Strings, which is in Dillsburg. I love having local stuff if I can. Uh, we're still waiting on him, whether or not he's going to be able to keep up with the volume that we might be giving him. Um, and then for accessories, I mean, pretty much if it's a uh, big name brand in the industry, we are carrying it. Outside of some really expensive stuff, um, like Spot Hog, for example, and like the high-end stuff from Trueball XL. 
um, we basically are a dealer going to be a dealer for it. And if and if we're not an exclusive dealer, like we buy thousands of dollars worth of product, uh, we can we can definitely get it for you at the right price. You know, it's not going to be an insane markup because uh, we want to put the appropriate products into people's hands uh, at the prices that, you know, would be competitive for the market. Because that's a that's a huge that's a huge thing to me. You know, I understand that the margins in archery and I've understood for a long time, the margins in archery are garbage, but I would much rather you come to me and pay a garbage margin to me than you go down to the local big box store and pay some millionaire in a tower somewhere else. Uh, you know, the money he did not earn. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so that's, we, we will be doing, and I mean, we'll be able to work on cross outside of Raven. Sorry for those of you that are wealthy enough to own Raven's. Uh, we will not be able to work on Ravens, but we'll be able to work on Ten Point, Wicked Ridge, uh, Center Point, Killer Instinct, and Barnett. Uh, we won't be able to get parts for all of those, uh, but we will at least for Wicked Ridge, which is made in Ohio, and Killer Instinct. So, yeah, very excited to bring all the brands and, and all the arrows you could possibly shake a stick at um, into the shop and, and broadheads and whatnot. If we If we don't have it on the wall, we can definitely get it to you. That's solid. That that'll be a nice offering for for Central PA and and the fact that you you might not like say you might not have like a a black gold in stock or something like that. Be a, being able to get it, I think, is the the thing that guys like to see. Um, yeah. So the willing the willingness to try, like that's the thing. Like sometimes you go and I mean, this is not just hardship, but any business. <laughs> you go in and be like, hey, I'm looking to get a thing that. We're, you know, you're a car shop and I'm looking to get cars. Uh, we don't deal in that. Okay. Well then you just lost a customer. I'm guarantee you, you could buy them that oil filter, whatever it may be. And even though I'm not a black Eagle, I'm not a black Eagle arrow dealer. I can get black Eagle arrows legally. Like there's nothing shady about it. It's from a distributor. I'm just not a dealer for them. So I don't get special pricing. So I'm eating margins. My margins not as good, but the price is exactly the same to you as the end user. And I'm building an arrow. It's an arrow, it's an arrow, it's an arrow. It's carbon too. So, you know, you get that cut, you get that arrow build that you want. You get it built correctly in, in high quality fashion for me. Um, but I, I'm the one who loses the money and you're paying the exact same price. So the, I would much rather have that. I'd much rather have a positive customer service experience and make less money and have a repeat customer because of that positive experience and saying, eh, go serve somebody else. I only want the people that want the stuff that I already have. That makes no sense. Yeah. Customer service, goodwill to customers that goes a very long way with a lot of people. And especially myself, like if you're willing to take the extra step to help me out, who I came into your stop, your shop, your store, your whatever, and you're willing to help me out and, and do something that maybe like you don't have on the shelf or whatever, then I'm either a going to come back. Or at least B, when people ask, like, hey, what's a what's a good bow shop around here? It's like drive up to Phillipsburg and check out Average Jack Archery. Check out their hours, kind of wonky. They're 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 set up for the evening and the weekend guy, but uh, you know, check them out and you won't be sorry. That's right. That's exactly right. And that's the kind of that's the kind of thing. I would much rather make less money and have that word of mouth positive advertising than try to push a margin and spend that margin on advertising to the general public who might not even care. Like I would so much rather have that positive experience be shared and grow the shop base than more than anything else. I think people appreciate that too. You know, like they appreciate at least for myself, but I think people are like this a lot. They appreciate the ability to support someone 
like yourself versus kind of like you were talking about earlier, the millionaire in the tower, you know? So yeah, maybe you're not the dealer, but if you can get it and you're someone that I, you know, I like the work you do. I, you know, I respect what you're doing. I'd rather that the money goes to you and support you in the things that you're doing than, you know, maybe going through a big box store or something. So I think that local aspect and even, you know, just your community on YouTube and stuff, I think that's going to be a big thing and people will really appreciate, you know, the kind of effort you're putting into, to getting people stuff like that. So I think that'll be a big deal for sure. What are some of the, um, maybe real quick, what are some of the challenges you've kind of had to overcome already in the short time, as far as getting the ball rolling? Uh, the biggest thing is, uh, kind of uh, off the cuff is that the archery industry, I, and I've always known this, but the archery industry still lives in 1999. You know, we're still, we're still filling out like handwritten notes. We're still filling in things and faxing and fax. Like you can fax, like I had some, I had a, I had a manufacturer say, you can fax this to me. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm going to scan it with my phone and submit it as a PDF, like a normal human being. Uh, that's been kind of a challenge. It's been kind of a humorous challenge for me. I'm a very tech savvy person. I get it. And I work with high tech cameras and, and computers and everything else all day long. Uh, the joke at work is that I'm the tech department who gets paid like a teacher. Um, so that, that's a, that's the thing there. But the, the, I, I think that's, that's kind of the biggest thing, but then also is, is, um, is navigating what, kind of what is the void that needs to be filled? That was something that I mentally didn't think I was going to have to grapple with. But, you know, because when I just flippantly, you know, I shouldn't say flippantly, but when people ask on YouTube, like, hey, what's a good, I'm looking to shoot a mechanical, let's say. Like, what's a good mechanical? I'm like, cool. Um, I would recommend this one, this one, and this one. Maybe this one if you're interested in, you know, this cutting diameter or whatever. Now my brain goes, well, I don't want to recommend all four of them because I didn't buy all four of them to put on my wall. So, like, People are like, for example, I love Magnus Broadheads and people are like, I can't wait to buy Magnus Broadheads from you. And I'm like, cool. I don't have five grand to buy five grand of Magnus products. I got to have stuff on the wall for people in Phillipsburg when they walk in. Like, I appreciate you, but like, or they're like, I can't wait to buy an Athens boat. Well, I can't buy six of them. They're a thousand bucks, you know? So that kind of stuff has been interesting. I've, I've been in the comments of my YouTube videos recently, but a little less active being like, hey, try this, 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 and this, because I don't have the money to support it yet. Um, but I, I think the the uh, the navigation of the the kind of the archaic methods of the industry and the kind of trying to find the void that needs to be filled. Like I said earlier, um, I'm not a dealer for Black Eagle Arrows, but here in Central PA, we don't have Black Eagle. Like, it's not a thing. A lot of people ask me about Black Eagle. I get a lot of questions about Black Eagle Arrows. They make great arrows. I've maybe handled three of their different arrow types for like five minutes. Um, and they're huge in other parts of the country. So like that's a void that could be filled or a particular bow like Athens. I mean, Athens, I think, ha has an opportunity to be huge in the central PA area where guys are looking for a really highly customizable bow, lots of different color options. And it costs two to three hundred bucks less than the flagships from other bigger names. I think that has an opportunity to be big. So yeah, and also we're, we're bringing um, saddles. We're bringing tethered into the store. Um, and that was a huge monetary decision, you know, to, to bring that in. But that's, again, that's another thing where it's like, how many dealers of tethered are there out there? Well, you know, I always put your money where your mouth is, Nate. So like you've been, you've been barking about them, you've bought them, you use them. Are you going to sell them to us? So like those kind of things are interesting things to, to kind of piece together as we've been getting the shop together and picking what goes on the walls and so on. 
Yeah, I have to imagine the saddle stuff is going to go over huge, especially tethered. I, I can't think of another tethered dealer in the area. It's a very new uh, concept. I actually kind of off the cuff had reached out to some of the big players in uh, on the tethered, you know, marketing and and, and money, uh, monetary side. It was like, hey, you know, if you ever think about being a dealer, you know, I'll put a telephone pole in the middle of the shop. Ha ha ha. And they're like, here's the link to sign up. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, I got to find a telephone pole. Here we um, go. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, thankfully, my neighbor works for pen lines, so I'll be able to get a tree. Um, but uh, but yeah, so it's it, so, yeah, that was a, that was a unique thing. And um, and in talking with them and again, this is another thing, you know, talking about price points and what I'm buying it at, and what the margin is. And even though. Uh, you know, and then there's a lot of companies, uh, bow companies in particular, that have order minimums. You know, you have to foot over X amount of dollars for us to be a dealer. And that, there are days where you look at and you think, I don't know if I want to sell my child for that, you know. And um, so that there are some, like the tether thing, for example, is huge. You'll be able to try it, literally. Stand on the platforms. Here's an XL. Here's a Predator. Try out this back band. Look at this hiss strap. Try out the knee, the knee cushion, the Nushin. Try out the knee pads. Like that's huge because you can't. There's no other place. Yeah. There, there, well, there's uh, nowhere. There's no way else to sell it. That guys. is correct. Like I, I first tried a saddle at uh, in Harrisburg at the outdoor show. Um, I don't know if it was tethered or if it was no, it was um, uh, the Pennsylvania based one. Trophy line. Trophy line. Trophy line. It was trophy line. I, I tried it out and I'm just like, I'm gonna really like this. And I had a saddle and I remember I went into the doctor for, I messed up my lower back and the OT or the, the doc was like, he was chatting. He was like, how'd you do? I was like, oh, getting ready for an elk trip last fall. And he's like, oh, you hunt. And then five minutes later, he's asking me like, you ever seen those saddles? Why? Well, yes, I have. He's like, and, but no one, you can't try one on unless you know someone that owns one. That's right. And, and so we hosted the teach and train tour I, last year. I offered to tether. I said, Hey, I'll host one out in PA furnace, uh, which is again, the middle of nowhere in central PA. And they're like, yeah, that's great. And the number of people that asked Nate, Hey, I see your host and teach and train. Can I buy a saddle if I like it while I'm there? And that's not the purpose of the teach and train. The purpose of the teach and train is just for you to try gear. Well, now we can host a teach and train, have people come out in the summer or come to the shop. And I can bring a whole bunch of saddles, bring my little, you know, bring my little card reader or whatnot. And here, if you want it, buy a saddle. Yay for you. You know, you get to try it. You get to buy it because outside of, like you said, outside of the Harrisburg show here in PA or, you know, maybe some of the deer expo stuff out in the Midwest, there is no other way to get into one unless you know somebody. There's just no other way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the shop stuff will be cool. I think it's cool that we're kind of getting to see it at like ground zero here. You know, so it'll be cool to see how it, how it grows for you. And, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure growth is going to be huge. You know, I, I think it's going to go over very well, especially the things that you have planned. I think, I think it's going to be a, you know, a big thing for you. So excited for that, but maybe let's, um, let's jump into some more archery tech type stuff, I guess, uh, stuff that I know we both enjoy talking about and I know our listeners enjoy listening about. So, um, Maybe to, maybe to get the ball rolling, what are like some common, you know, obviously you're dealing with working on people's bows, you're dealing with all the YouTube comments. What are some of like the, the more common problems that, that guys run into and, 
you know, and, and maybe some ways that they can remedy some of that stuff, whether through a shop or themselves. The, the biggest thing with, with tech and with gear is what we talked about at the very beginning of the show, uh, which is we haven't shot in a while. Um, and the biggest thing <clears throat> that people don't understand is that shooting a bow is, is no different than driving the same vehicle to work every single day. That when something's off, you feel it, you know it, you just, you just know it automatically. The draw length doesn't feel, you know, with a car, you know, it's pulling to the right, feels like it's slow in the startup. Uh, you know, maybe my, it shudders a little when I come to a complete stop. That stuff you notice when you drive it every single day to work. Same thing's true with your bow. You know, the draw length doesn't feel right. You know, this, this grip, I'm gripping it differently today. Uh, this anchor point doesn't feel right. It feels like it's, it, there's this weird hump in it, or it, now it creaks or it clicks or, you know, something like that. And if you put the bow away in December and you pull it out in July, you've had a long time to forget all of those things. Um, or even, you know, you, you put it away in, in December and you pull it out in April. You know, you still had a good amount of time to forget all those things. And so a lot of guys will come in and uh, they'll say, hey, uh, you know, can you can you look this over for me? It seems like it was going OK, but now I can't I can't hit the broadside of a bar. OK. When did you when did you start shooting? About two weeks ago. Okay. When did you shoot before then? Oh, last deer season. And it's August. And you're like, well, come on, dude. Like, no duh. You know, something has changed. And so I think that for me, the number one thing is when people say something's wrong or something's off, or you know, maybe I bumped. That's a big thing. Maybe I bumped something. You didn't. It's been sitting in the case. You haven't bumped squat. Uh, what has happened is a string or a cable has stretched. Now your bow's out of time. And now your sight isn't on anymore, or maybe your arrows got a little wonky, or or maybe you grew facial hair. Now you anchor different, or you did accidentally slide your kisser up, and now it's at a different anchor position. But you don't remember because you haven't been doing them, uh, you know, every day or once a week or something. So that's kind of the biggest thing that I see um, in the shop every single year. Guys, like, this isn't shooting right, and it could be shooting just fine. They just haven't shot in a while because the familiarity's gone. Um, the second thing too is like I said earlier in, in the show, is that there's no excuse anymore to not know the right way or at least the very vanilla basic way to have something set up. You know, you rest at 13 sixteenths. Buy a $12 Easton T-square and figure out if your arrow's running level through the burger hole. Um, make a $30 draw board to see if your cams are in time. You know, for less than 50, 60 bucks, you can at least have the ability to check Everything, pull out a tape measure, measure the axle to axle, measure the brace height, um, you know, all those all those things, because those are a huge, just like the oil dipstick in a car, it's a huge indicator if something's going south or if something is different or something needs to change. Um, and so those those are the two big things is, is, is the, uh, I haven't touched it in a while, or the complete um, lack of understanding of what their bow is supposed to look like or what it's supposed to be doing or what the numbers on it, the specs on it are. The number, this always makes me chuckle as a side note, the number of guys that just want it to be at a poundage. They'd be like, can I get this set to 67 pounds? And I'm like, yeah, sure, buddy. We'll get you set to 67 pounds. And, you know, that's like it. Or they're like, hey, can I get this to, can I get this to shoot at 60 Right. And the boat and the string cables have stretched. And so it's not peaking at 60. So the limbs are wound all the way in. And so I'll put it on the scale and be like, yep, it's at 60. It's at 57. But I'm not, he does not want to pay for me to put it in a press, wind up all the string cables, put the bow back at a time because now it's going to feel different. 
is now it's going to be different. He doesn't want that. So I'll put it on the scale and be like, oh, it's peaking at 57. Oh, it looks great, man. It's at 60. All right. All right. Can't wait to go shoot a deer with it now. Uh, so that those guys always make me chuckle. They just want to be at a poundage, right? That 70 pound. Uh, yeah, I did it. Uh, but really, that they just don't understand that, like, if you understood how your bow works, you would know the difference between, or if you shot it more often, I feel this is, you know, this feels like it's lost weight. You know, it feels like it's not peaking as hard as it used to be. A little straight and cable stretch can mean a world of difference. And you'd never know if you didn't shoot it every every time or measure the axle to axle of the brace height. Yeah, it's so really a good just point. Knowing, knowing your bow, knowing the spec, the specs. Like that's, it's that's like a good I, thing. I have, you know, here in front of me, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. There are twelve bows hanging down here in the basement, and I have charts for all of them. So like you know, and it's not, again, because of the internet, look up your bow and look up specs for your bow. What's the axle to axle? What's, and print it out and put it in your bow case if you, if, you, if you leave a bow in a bow case. And when you open up the bow case and it's June, you haven't touched it, pull out a tape measure. We all have one. And look at that paper you printed out six months ago. It's right there. Or pull it up on your phone, whatever, and just measure and if something is off, don't don't monkey monkey with it. Take it to your local shop and get it fixed. Or and I always say this a lot of the time when you get something set up at your shop, you know, you go in June, July, August. Most guys sometimes late in September, and you get it set up and you're feeling confident. You go home and you're slinging arrows. Your broadheads are hitting with your field points. Everything's great. Take out that tape measure and measure everything. What is the axle to axle? What is the brace height? What is the distance between your D loop and your peep? What is the distance between your D loop and your kisser button? Uh, you know, what, uh, you know, where, what is the height of your sight to the arrow when an arrow is knocked? I mean, there's no wrong measurement you can take here. The more data points you have, the better, because then again, you're shooting and then three months into the season, let's say you have a rain event, your string does something funky and you shoot and your broadheads are hitting like low and left. Well, pull out that tape measure again and see if something has changed. And I'll guarantee you something has. And then you can go to the shop and say, fix this. This is the number I need this at. Because that's what it was when it was perfect. And and if you hand me that, that's brilliant. If you hand me and say, this isn't working anymore, I'm going to go, oh, for heaven's sakes, man. I don't I don't know. It's like, hand, it's like taking your car. Like if you took your car to the mechanic and was like, I need something fixed. And they're like, what do you need fixed? I don't know. What, does it make it a noise? I don't know. Does it need an oil change? I don't know. I don't know what it needs. But if you're able to say, this is what the number was in my bow. Now it's different. Can you fix that? I can fix that. I can twist up the cable. I can re, you know, change the peep around, whatever it needs to be. It's just understanding your specific equipment. If I can keep 12 bows in track, you can keep one. It's, it's, it's very, very simple in today's technology. Yeah, that's really good advice. And, uh, that's something I probably need to be better about too, you know, just keeping track of measurements kind of where they are. But yeah, that that's, uh, that's good advice. And I think you make a good point earlier about just knowing, I think learning and knowing how to identify things, you know, are you, you know, are you in time? What do things look like, you know, versus like, I think sometimes people just want to jump into like, Hey, I want to buy a press and I want to do this and I want to do that. I think just knowing how to identify some of those problems first and then kind of understanding how they're fixed at the shop can be a big benefit before you kind of jump in both feet doing your own work too. So I thought that was good advice. Yeah. I can't say that I know any of my numbers. Like you don't have to have them memorized. No, I don't have them written down. 
I mean, I I, okay. I I vaguely know like my axle to axle. I know my poundage. Um, I, I know what my bow feels like when it's in tune or like when the cams are in time, etc. But like, and then I, I I use a pencil to mark various things on my bow. Like, where's my rest at? Uh, where's my sight at? Like those little things. Like I remember those numbers, but like. I don't know how high my peep's supposed to be from my D loop. Right. But that's all again, that's for like, if you bring me something, I'll ask a, a lot of guys, I'll say like, Hey, do you want this exactly the same setup? Like, do you want right? Is this setup very comfortable for you right now? And sometimes I'll be like, now nah, I want to change stuff up. I'll leave stuff loose. So I'll like, I'll put a peep in, but it'll be loose. I won't tie it in. Mm-hmm. I'll put a kisser on, but I won't clamp it on. And then I'll have, when they come back in, I do this string cable change. I'll have them come back in. And then they, draw back a whole bunch of times and we, and we test it out for them. Um, but if, if a guy's really comfortable with it, I'll take out the measuring tape and I measure everything. So I put a D loop on and I measure from the D loop on the old string D loop to the peep, put that peep exactly where it's at peep to the kisser button. And the number of guys that come back in and, you know, again, their bow and they draw it back. They're like, Oh, well, that's, that's perfect. I'm like, yeah, because we didn't fudge it. Like we just broke out a measuring tape. It took 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, it's something that simple that a lot of people just don't think to do. They don't think, oh, measuring tape belongs on the bow. Well, it does. It really does. And it, it can save you a lot of headache, a lot of frustration. And again, if you're going to, if you, if you have that technician that you don't like, again, take all these measurements. And when you bring the bow to them, say, just put it back to these measurements. How hard can that be? Right. And since high quality string cables like from gas or, or, or zebra or wicked threads or whatever are very good on specs. If they just take them off and put them on, at least that should be okay. And you should be, you should be 90% of the way there at a minimum. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, a little bit more advanced for the home archer. What are a couple of things that uh, a guy that owns a bow should be able to do? Like in terms of like, I have a press. Not ha- no, they don't have a press. Okay. They have like, uh, they have a bow vice, um, you know, a couple levels. That's about it. Maybe some thread, some odds and ends. Yeah. Um, tying a D loop is is number one. Like tying a D loop is huge. Um, you get a if you want to get fancy, you can spend like twenty twenty five bucks and get a pair of Viper D loop pliers that'll help you stretch it out and get all the knots super tight. Um, if it comes to like being able to tie knocking points. So I use, I don't use levels. I did for a while. I put them in a bow vise to try to use levels. And I always was fiddling, getting both levels on. I use a T square, an Easton T square, and it clips right on the string. You can hold the bow upside down and it's still going to hold 90 degrees to the string. Um, so I use that and being able to identify like, Hey, I have a single cambo. I need to put it an eighth of an inch high. Or I have a dual cambo. I just leave it dead center, right down through the burger hole, that type of stuff. Uh, being able to measure distance from the burger button hole to the center of the arrow when it's knocked on the string. So you get center shots. So you get 13 sixteenths from that burger button hole out to the center of the arrow. So you know where to adjust your rest. Um, just little simple stuff like that is really 80% of bow work. Um, of like all the stuff that I do, like 80% of it is just doing those simple things of making sure the level you know, the arrow is set square, uh, uh, the, the rest is set to 13, 16, some manufacturers are seven eighths. Um, and then being able to tie a knocking point, which is, you know, using a little bit of thread, 
tie knocking points. So that way, when you have to clip a D loop off or you need to move something, you know exactly where that, that center point is again. Um, if you want to get fancy, you could do some fancy, cool peep tying knots, but you could really do a whole bunch of overhand knots like you're tying your shoes, and that'll hold it in just fine. It won't look as cool, but it's super simple. Um, and again, that literally is 80% of bow work. It really is for me. The string cable change is nothing. It's like five minutes of the process. It's taking the old cables off and the new string and the old string off, putting the new string cables on. The rest of it is spent tying stuff to the string cables. Um, and and so the the basic understanding of that, and then if you're doing that for yourself and you're doing that for other people locally, whether you pay you charge for it or not, again, be with that's eighty percent of the problem or eighty percent of the work. You've now done eighty percent of the work for that guy when he walks out of the store or walks out of your house or your shed or wherever you're doing this work for them. They're now, they only now have to do the remaining 20% because you did 80% right the first time. Uh, and that, again, that saves that, that return phone call that coming back or, Hey Nate, you know, you did my bow last weekend, but something doesn't seem right. You know, I, I rarely get that, that phone call or that text or that ever from a friend. Um, when I just do it right the first time, get that 80% of that work done out of the way. It's, it's so it's so it's so mundane. It really is mundane. If you actually watch a bow technician do what they do, and you sit there and stare at him, you're like, "Gosh, this is really not rocket science." It's, it's, a, it's really a lot of boring. Knots. It's a lot of knots. The, the like I said, the quality of string cables now compared to what they used to be, even like five, six, seven years ago. I remember like when zebra strings zebra strings had a bad bat with with their uh the traverse and vxr like had a really bad batch a couple years ago and you'd put a bow on the drawboard you draw back twice and the cam timing would go from the top cams hot to the bottom cams hot like that's how much twisting and and stretching and everything there was that rarely happened so 90 percent of the time i put a set of string cables on a quality set of string cables on a bow it's in time maybe half a twist out or a twist out it takes five minutes the rest of it is tying on a D loop, finding level, setting the rest to 13, 16, making sure when I bolt the side on the bow that I move it over far enough so it's in line with the arrow so that way when the guy shoots it for the first time, he doesn't, you know, fling it into his shed. It's just little stuff like that. Um, and having the knowledge to just do that right the first time so that way the person who doesn't have the knowledge to do that doesn't have to try to do something to overcompensate because their bow's set out of whack. Yeah, I mean, you make a good point about that, like, kind of initial setup, too, and having everything correct. Because I think about the problems I've had with bows, whether it be myself setting it up or somebody else. But a lot of them, like, came from something being off in that initial setup. And like you said, it's kind of so simple and so mundane. But if something gets missed there, it's such a big thing, especially if it's a new bow, because now you're not confident in the setup. And, you know, it's just kind of this ball of wax that starts rolling. So. Uh, I think you make a very good point about being thorough and kind of making sure that that initial setup is where it needs to be. And then that's kind of where everything else comes into play after that. Yeah. I've had similar experiences too. Um, I mean, people listen to this podcast regularly heard all about it last year. I had a bow set up that I thought was set up properly. Couldn't get broadheads to hit with field points. I knew I had the right spine, the right weight, the right arrow setup. I knew that was good. And finally went somewhere else and put it on a drawboard, and it was probably the the top stop was a quarter inch from hitting the string. Oh my! Put it in, put it in time. It's a Hoyt bow, so like the top, the top should hit just a hair faster than the bottom. And did that. Took it outside, and 
I was going to say, I want I want to hear more. I want expansion on this. I know, I know. He, he he's doing he's doing the teeter totter hand thingy. I want to. Because you and I had this why would why earlier, would so a multi million dollar oh, why would a multi million dollar company with cam timing make one have to touch before the other? I don't. I know. hear you. I'm with you. I'm no, with you. it's it's complete hogwash. You want you want to know where that comes from? You want to actually know where that comes from? I'm afraid. <laughs> so, okay. So that's, here's an industry secret for everybody listening. So Hoyt doesn't actually give the correct string cable lengths out for their bows. Okay? That's creepy. It's very creepy. So you have a cam and a half system, I'm guessing. I have, you a, have a hybrid cam. I have a helix. Oh yeah. So you have one of the definite culprits. So in particular, up until about the, what the hyperforce, what 2017, 2018, there was a scourge where Hoyt was, saying this is a string cable length and it was not right at all it was not right at all they deliberately misled numbers and so what was happening was uh even companies good companies like gas were building string cables and we were getting bows into the shop we put them on and the top cam would be a quarter inch behind Mm -hmm. exactly like you're describing fresh out of the box and you'd have to twist the crap out of the bus cable and completely untwist the control because the bus cable is the one with the yoke and you'd have to untwist the control cable just to get that top cam to touch. Okay. But what that left you with was you left this huge problem of shock absorption between now this completely untwisted string and this super overtwisted one. So what guys were doing is they were building strings to be long on the control cable and short on the bus cable. And they were because of that, it was throwing off the hybrid cam system. So that way the top cam was was spinning faster than the bottom cam if that makes sense right yeah so it wasn't a it, it, it was just out of the nature of the string cables based on limb deflection and everything else so your top can had to run hot because it was fpsing or it was rpms were faster than the bottom cam not because that's the way the timing should be it's because it was fudging because guys didn't want to want run fuse bowstrings which come from Hoyt they didn't want to run them anymore and they wanted to run others from other companies fuse were perfect right out of the package because they knew the actual numbers of string cables I'm glad so there we you cleared go. this There's up because we had this conversation before I bought a Hoyt and I'm like I had the same reaction I'm like I just do not understand how this company as big as Hoyt can I don't get how that could be a thing so that makes much and it's more a part sense. of the reason it's a part of the reason why their hunting bows are no longer a hybrid cam system. They are now a binary cam system. And you can't fudge binary because both cables are the same length. Makes sense, yeah. So you can't, it's not like the, the bus cable uh, control cable where they were two totally different lengths. Interesting. Some like I know. deep state kind of stuff, dude. Deep state, dude. Hoyt, well, that's also when Hoyt was losing shooters left and right. They were having lots of in-house problems. <laughs> Well, their new stuff is great. Love their 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 Ventum stuff's awesome. Yeah, that's their what Ventum I ended up buying great. last last summer, and I I've been a fan yeah, so far anyway. Bow. It's good, but anyway, continue on with your with your woe. I have. I'm sorry, I had to take. <laughs> no, the- it was just it was just the fact that like it was set up. I think strings were swapped or something like that. It was set up to be like, oh yeah, this is good. Like, oh okay, and then you know, at 30, 40, 50 yards, my broadheads were not hitting with my field tips going out west. I'm like. This is kind of an issue. And my, my buddy brought it in the time and first shot out to 40 field tip broadhead, same dot. 
and like just the initial setup wasn't anything yeah. I was doing. Wasn't anything the bow did. It's just initial setup. It goes a long way. Man, my mind is blown right now. Yeah. I'm thinking so many things about Hoyt. <laughs> well, now you know the truth. There's so many. Now we can at least put so that many to rest. Secrets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. So I have to ask, just kind of out of my own curiosity, um, in the YouTube space, what's the the most common question or the the biggest thing you get? Is it you know, is it the FOC heavy arrow craze? Is it arrow tuning? What's kind of the the number one thing that you're seeing these days? Yeah, it's all about arrow weight, FOC, you know, how do I build this? You know, people are trying to run 57 different combinations and, and you know, this thing or, you know, should I move to a single bevel or I'm looking to do this? And, um, and the, <clears throat> the biggest thing that I always keep falling back to is, I ask a lot of people or, or people like, Hey, I'm looking to move to a 600 grain error, 500 grain error, 550, whatever. And my number one question before I do any of it is, have you had success in the past with whatever you're currently running? Because if you have had success, I want to continue some of the things that are there already with that success in this new adventure. If you're launching off this cliff because you just want to have a good time, don't come to me and ask. Because you're, you're asking me to come into your tinkering land. I don't want to be in your tinkering land. I have my own. So, no, that's fair. If, but if you, have a, if you have a problem, I will happily help you with your problem. You're like, hey, I was shooting a this, shooting a that, terrible penetration, or I, you know, I didn't get what I wanted. I want to try this. I'll be like, cool. I will help you fix your problem. But if you're like, hey, I shot a 450 grain arrow last year, and it worked just fine. I get this email once a week. I shot a 450 grain arrow, 400 grain arrow. It works just fine, but I want to try something new. Okay, then go try something new. I'm not going to sit here and spitball with you. I love you, but I, I don't have time for that. Um, so, so yeah, that's probably the, the number one thing I get asked. And I have no problems helping people do it. I wouldn't recommend if you ask, should I do it? I'm going to tell you no. Uh, but but you know, I will help you do it if that's something that you want to pursue and you want to try. I mean, I'm all I'm all for people trying new stuff. Um, and particularly if it's something that could help you have greater success. What's your, uh, what's your personal arrow setup, hunting arrow setup right now? What are you shooting? It is a, uh, serious supernova 2.0. It's a 300 spine. That is a standard diameter arrow. I'm a sucker for standard diameter arrows. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and 125 grain broadhead. I like Magnus stuff. The bucket shot in Indiana last year was a Magnus buzz cut four blade, 125 grain. Uh, and I shoot a lighted knot because I sell film. Um, and that's it. it. And that's that's a stock arrow. It has the standard 12-grain insert in it. You know, nothing fancy. And that's the arrow that I will style that I'll continue to hunt with for the foreseeable rest of my life. And that's the number one arrow that I will build. I call them bell curve style arrows. You know, if you were to go on a spine chart from any manufacturer and you put in your draw length and draw weight, you know, what spine do they recommend? Okay, well, the bell curve of that is an inch under the correct length you know if this you have a 28 inch draw i like to cut an inch over that so you get an inch over your 28 inches 29 or an inch under which is 27 uh and then you get anywhere between 100 to 150 grain point you can pick you want to throw a lighted knock in there great that's a bell curve arrow to me so for most guys hunting that's an arrow that's in the range between 390 and about 490 to 500 grains if you are building an arrow depending on your i'm a long guy 31 inches 60 pounds so um, if you, if you're shooting an arrow in that, the, you know, the 27 inch draw to 70 pounds to 31, 60, 70 pounds, 
it's going to be 390 to 500 grains, and I can help you tune that sucker till I'm blue in the face. And that's the kind of arrow system I want to go. I wish everybody would shoot a fixed blade broadhead. I think that'd be huge. Uh, I don't think everybody's going to do it, and that's fine. Uh, but I want you to have the most amount of success possible, and, and I'll help you build that very bell curve, as I call them, style arrow. Is it tuning issues, or what do you think keeps most people away from, from fixed blades? I know that's kind of a rabbit hole in and of itself, but what do you see? It, well, it is a rabbit hole, but as someone who works in the shop, the number one thing I hear is, well, I shot them once, they didn't fly with my field points. That was my assumption. I, okay. That is 90% mm-hmm. is, I shot them once, I shot them twice, I tried them last year, they didn't fly with my field points. And in person, it's really tough to look at the guy and say, great, did you try anything? Because you don't want to, you don't want to make them feel like an idiot. You know, <laughs> you want yeah, them to sure. buy something. <laughs> you know, um, on email, if someone emails me or messages me, I'm like, okay, what did you try to fix? They go, I didn't. Okay, well now let's try to fix that. Um, so that's the number one thing. It didn't fly with my field points, and 99% of the time is because something's out of whack with their bow, or it was set up wrong in the first place. You know, etc. And as we as we've always said, 80% of the problem is the, is the initial setup. And, um, and that's the number one thing that deters people. There are guys that, um, also to their credit for years stuck with the, uh, long fletched arrows, the old aluminums, the four or five inch veins or big feathers. And you could shoot any broadhead you want with that. Cause there's so much steerage on the back end. And they then went to modern day fletching, you know, two inch fletching, their bows a little bit out of whack. And they're shooting a big old muzzy three blade or a big old NAP Thunderhead three blade like they have since the 1980s. And that little fletch is struggling to manhandle a big fixed blade three blade three blade broadhead like that. And to their credit, they're like, I just don't want to monkey. I've been monkeying with this for 20 years. I'm done. That's fine. I, I give hats off to those guys because they've been doing it for, you know, they want to try something new. I'll still help them try to tune it um and, and, and everything but those that's a rare subset but that's another group that's like i'm just done monkeying with this i want to try something a little bit lighter faster you know the, the blades are in some guys there are some old guys that are like i'm afraid i'm going to cut myself we get some of those guys uh the crossbow guys that have to feed the bolt in mm, they don't oh, want to yeah. shoot a fixed blade because they're afraid of, of nicking their cable it's right there under mm-hmm. 200 pounds of tension i i i, I never as someone who doesn't hunt with a crossbow, I, I never could that never occurred to me as a reason why they wouldn't want to shoot a fixed blade. I've had guys say, "Yeah, like I'm a little shaky sometimes in the morning. It's six o'clock, and I don't want to be fishing a fixed blade broadhead past this 200 pound tension cable." Fair enough. Yeah, fair that's enough. fair. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that either, but that, uh, that's per- that, that's reasonable. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very very yeah. When he said it to me, I had this kind of like, oh. Like this complete aha moment. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, that actually is like a, that's not just like an old curmudgeon thing that you're sticking behind. That's a legitimate concern. Yeah. Uh, and I sure. never considered it. So I'm, I'm very glad he brought that up because that's, that's something I've stuck with now. Every time a, a crossbow guy's like, I'm going to shoot a mechanical, I kind of think of, you know, that's actually probably smart for you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fair point. Well, I mean, the archery, the tech stuff has been great. And I think we could, I know I could, I'm sure I can speak for Aaron too, continue to talk for hours about archery tech stuff, but we know you're a busy guy, so we won't keep you unless you have other tech things you want to dive into, Aaron. No, uh, nothing that wouldn't take less than a half hour. So Sounds good. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe to kind of wrap up, um, where do you see kind of the brand and yourself going in, you know, maybe say the next calendar year? 
what are some kind of things on your radar? In terms of like content to be created or where we're going or yeah, kind anything of, like yeah, maybe kind of general direction, content shop, whatever, whatever you want to tie into that, and maybe how people can contribute uh, to the shop stuff. I know we kind of skipped over that, but if you want to tie that in there too, yeah. that'd be great. Yeah, sure. So I'll I'll start with that then, uh, just real quick. So if anybody's interested, we are we're making a banner. So since basically Average Deck Archery, the entire time has been whether it's been monetarily or not via YouTube revenue, uh, it's been crowdfunded. So the people that have watched from the beginning, the people that have started watching yesterday, uh, you guys are the are the reason that I keep doing stuff is is helping the people that message and watch and comment and everything else. And so uh, we are doing a we have uh, ways to donate to the shop, um, you know. And regardless whether the, the number is five or five hundred dollars, it does not matter. We're building a humongous banner. Uh, that's going to go on the wall. And it's going to say something to the effect of the average deck archery shop is made possible by, and then all of the names. And uh, we're doing that for the, uh, we did it for everybody who's donated so far in 2022 up to the end of April, 2022. So if you're listening in the future, um, sorry, if it's, if it's past April, 2022. Um, but right now, I mean, that's well over a hundred people and they, their names will be on the wall, regardless of how much money it was, because their support is huge. Uh, and this is goes again earlier, what I said about, you know, buying, buying and selling product is, you know, a lot of people have yelled at me, they've gone, okay, you know, uh, you're asking for free handouts. Listen, I don't ask for free handouts. Like if you watch any of my content, I don't ask, please like, share and subscribe. I hate that it drives me nuts. If you don't like my content, I don't want you to like, share and subscribe. I don't like, I don't want to bother you. Like if you want to be here, be here. Um, you know, I get enough of, I have to bother kids for a living that don't want to be there. I don't want to bother grown men and women on YouTube. Um, so, but if the people that, you know, if you feel that I've saved you five bucks of your time, if you feel like donate, we'll put your name on the banner. We'll put you in the shop. And every single dollar that goes is not going into my pocket. It's going right in the shop. It's going into putting slat board on the wall. It's going to getting a new bow line brought in. It's going to bring in accessories. It's going to make sure we have a, the quality stuff that we need and presses and tools and everything else. It's all, I'm not pocketing a, a single dime. It's all going into the shop. Um, and then to, to go on with that, you know, I hope that as we get the shop started here and we really open doors up July 1st and we get the people in, my hope is to, is to continue to bring the average check archery videos is hopefully to move this, you know, get it out of my basement literally for once and move the studio to the shop and be able to test products. I mean, the ability to bring in products that people then can then turn right around and buy is huge to me like that. The ability to say this product's great. This product's crap. Like let's let's actually have that open-ended conversation. I really am looking forward to that in this in the next in the calendar year, uh, being able to uh, test the products out in a unbiased. This is what it is. Here's here's my opening experience. There's a great guy on YouTube that does it. He's down in Australia, Stephen Hand from Archery Supplies. He does that. He does these videos where he like rambles in front of his iPhone for like 45 minutes, but they're great. I watch every single one because he just tells it like it is. He tells it like it is. And that's what I really want it, it to be. I want the brand to continue, the shop to continue, the YouTube channel to continue. This is what I'm trying. This is what we're selling. This is what's going well. This is what people are giving us feedback on. Um, because the feedback I currently have is like what guys say on Archery Talk and, and other YouTube comments. I want to actually love to have and share that positive uh, experience of people in the shop. I'd love to be able to film the um, uh, you know the kids nights the ladies nights the leagues you know bring that up it's never going to be like as big as Lancaster but just continue to spread that continuous joy and community of the archery 
thing. I hope they just, I hope the, the, the YouTube channel is able to quadruple in that kind of content and really bring that uh, forward in the next, you know, 10 to 12 months. That's awesome, man. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to come checking it out once it's open. Um, I'll definitely be up there just to see what you got going on, meet in person. Maybe I'll bring you your brother's pizza or something, but, uh, um, <laughs> he's all excited yes. now. <laughs> oh man. The amount of grease, like they're the, the pepperonis would like curl up and cup and there'd just be a little bowl of grease in the middle of oh, the yeah. slice. Of- oh yeah, oh, for sure. For oh. sure. Oh. My, my arteries are clogging as we're speaking. It's good stuff. No, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to check it out. Um, come, come this summer and, uh, know see what the leads are like and whatnot so that'd be cool that'd be awesome be one of the guys that just walks around the store pokes at everything and then never buys anything and then talks for like three hours and then leaves god did you know aaron before this podcast (laughs) (laughs) rude rude it's true it is true the number of guys that i see you know when i work part-time during the summer down at gyms they'll come in and they'll be like i'm really looking to get in a new arrow Three and a half hours later, they have done nothing. Uh, <laughs> but I know how their job is going. Do you and uh, do you remember uh, Clarence Archery up in Snowshoe? I tried to buy them out. Did you? I did. I tried to. I tried to. But that was that was the potential place of uh, the first Avercheck Archery option. Okay. Yeah. Well, they had those people on the oh. weekends. On the weekends, and, and I would go up there, and they were the nicest dudes. Like. And like I walked in there one day, and there's just like three guys sitting on the couch watching college basketball, drinking coffee, and I'm just like, guy hops up, oh, let me help you out. I'm like, are they shooting? He's like, nah, they're just in here. Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, and and uh, and Jim and Bruce, the owners, both mm-hmm. retired teachers. Yep, yep, both retired teachers. And, and when you when I saw that you were opening a shop, that was the first thing that I thought of. It's like, well, there was another shop around here that did that and was pretty successful for a while, so. Yeah, but anyway. no, they were they were good they were good dudes. I I did have them do a couple a couple of things for me back in the day. And I remember going in there being like, "This this is what I envision my retirement to be like." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just dudes dudes doing nothing, <laughs> just but they have a shop like that. Yep. That's like that's like you know. Uh, he he I, set up an entire bow for me one time, and he run me out, and he's like, "That'll be eleven fifty. I'm like, "What? <laughs> Come on." I forgot the Pete at uh, 1750. I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 changed. I, I bought a Hoyt carbon element. It had number two cams on it. I needed number three cams. I knew those were like a mm-hmm. hundred bucks. I needed new modules to get to a 30 and a half inch draw length. He rang me up for like $39. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, no, and I'm like, I forget how old I was, maybe 19. And, and cause he was a Hoyt dealer. He had to do all this for me cause I couldn't do it myself. And he's like, yeah, we had the cams in the back. We pulled them off an old boat. So they're not brand new. They look brand new. And uh, yeah, we just had the modules, but no one ever buys a 30 and a half inch module. We're just happy to get rid of them. <laughs> and I'm fair. like, that's fair. <laughs> like that's fair, but like, okay. You, you worked on this thing for like two hours. He's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> sits down watches it again basketball they love basketball they yep. watch all the basketball yep yeah well this has been cool i uh you know like i mentioned out there i think i found your stuff a couple of years ago on youtube when i was 
uh, deciding if I wanted a ropeman or not. And you had that, that Prusik tender, uh, video. So it's always kind of surreal, you know, when you follow people on YouTube or, or listen to them on podcasts or, or whatever. And now we're getting the chance to kind of sit down and, and talk with some of these people. So it's been a really cool avenue for that. Uh, certainly appreciate you taking time out of your day, obviously with teaching and kids and the shop, you know, you're a busy guy and, and content creation. So appreciate you sitting down with us. It's been a, it's been a ton of fun. I've really enjoyed it. No, seriously. Thanks for having me on. Seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Good luck with the shop. Um, I know you've kind of mentioned earlier, but where's the best place for people to get a hold of you? If you want to get a hold of me, uh, send me an email, averagejackarchery at gmail.com. Find me on Facebook or Instagram at averagejackarchery. If you're interested in checking out the shop or hooking me up with products, you can send me messages through our website, averagejackarchery.com. Uh, yeah, we'd be happy to help you out in any way, shape, or form. If you need tuning help, tips, your bow's blown up, and you want to send me pictures of how to fix it, again, just attach pictures, email, or Facebook, Instagram, whatever's the best way. Oh, if you want to uh, call the shop because you need something, 814-761-0675. There we go. No excuse for not being able to get a hold of Average Jack Archery There's now. no excuse nope. now. <laughs> <laughs> My phone's going to ring at 11 o'clock at night. Yeah, anyways. right, right. West Coast, West Coast time. Oh no! All right. Well, thanks again, and for everybody tuning in, we appreciate it, and we will catch you on the next one.